Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Hi, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that uncovers history one day at a time. The day was June 1st, 1843. Isabella Bonfrey changed her name to Sojourner Truth. Truth was an abolitionist and activist who dedicated her life to championing human rights. Isabella Bonfrey was born around 1797 in Ulster County, New York. Her father, James, was nicknamed Bonfrey, and her mother, named Elizabeth, was known as Mau Mau Bet. She was the second youngest of 13 children born to her parents, but her siblings were sold or given away before she was born. In her younger years, Isabella lived on an estate that Dutch colonists owned, and the first language she spoke was Low Dutch. But when her owner died, she was put up for auction and separated from her parents. Her next owner was English-speaking, but she was mistreated for her inability to understand English. After that, a Dutch tavern keeper purchased her. And in 1810, John Dumont purchased her for $300. Dumont enslaved her for two decades. She performed hard labor, including tasks like planting, plowing, cultivating, and harvesting crops, milking animals, sewing, cooking, and cleaning the house. Dumont's wife, Elizabeth, despised her, and John raped her. That rape resulted in her child named Diana. When she was enslaved at the Dumonts, she fell in love with an enslaved man named Robert from a nearby farm. But Robert's owner beat him to death for meeting Isabella. Years later, she met another enslaved man named Thomas and had three children with him named Peter, Elizabeth, and Sophia. At the end of the 18th century and the beginning of the 19th century, laws in New York provided for the emancipation of enslaved Black people, though there were stipulations and many continued to be enslaved. Dumont agreed to emancipate Isabella before she was set to be freed by law, but he reneged on his promise, and she fled with her daughter Sophia. She found refuge with the Van Wagenens in New Paltz, New York, who paid her $20 for her work until the date of her emancipation, July 4, 1827. But Dumont had illegally sold Isabella's son, Peter, south to Alabama. She was dedicated to finding Peter, and after taking her son's case to a legal hearing at court, Peter was returned from Alabama and freed. While she was staying with the Van Wagenens, she became a devout Christian. In 1829, she and Peter moved to New York City. She became a housekeeper. And when she was accused of being an accomplice to murder and poisoning a couple, she was acquitted of her charges and turned around and filed a slander suit against the couple that claimed she tried to poison them. She won the suit. But Isabella would meet more misfortune. Her son, Peter, had taken a job on a whaling ship in 1839. The ship he was supposed to be on returned to New York in 1842, but he was not on it, and she never heard from him again. The next year, Isabella decided to change her life drastically. 
As a Methodist, she said she was called to speak God's truth across the countryside. On June 1, 1843, she took the name Sojourner Truth. In her autobiography, she said the following, My name was Isabella, but when I left the house of bondage, I left everything behind. I wasn't going to keep nothing of Egypt on me, and so I went to the Lord and asked Him to give me a new name. And the Lord gave me Sojourner, because I was to travel up and down the land, showing the people their sins and being a sign unto them. Afterwards, I told the Lord I wanted another name, because everybody else had two names. And the Lord gave me truth, because I was to declare the truth to the people. After she moved to Massachusetts and joined the Northampton Association of Education and Industry, a utopian community that was a stop on the Underground Railroad, she met abolitionists like Frederick Douglass and William Lloyd Garrison. As tension over slavery rose in the country, Truth began a public lecture tour and traveled to states talking about her experiences as an enslaved woman. She bought a house in Northampton, which she paid off in a few years by selling photos of herself. Throughout the rest of her life, she continued to travel and advocate for the rights of women and Black people. She spoke out for abolition, women's suffrage, desegregation, and land grants for formerly enslaved people. And she recruited Black men for the Union Army during the Civil War. In her later years, she became skeptical of interracial cooperation and supported racial separation and a Black Western homeland. She died in 1883 in Battle Creek, Michigan. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If there's something that I missed in an episode, you can share it with everybody else on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. And if you want to learn more about people who rebelled and resisted the status quo in history, you can listen to the new podcast, Unpopular. It's a show that I host about people in history who really challenged the conventions of their day and took a stand against them. Thanks for joining me on this trip through time. See you here in the exact same spot tomorrow. Hey y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to The Stand History Class, a podcast that truly believes no day in history is a slow day. The day was June 1st, 1974. The Heimlich Maneuver was unveiled in an article in the journal Emergency Medicine. The Heimlich Maneuver is a technique used to stop a person from choking. At the time, choking was a common cause of accidental death in the U.S. The American Red Cross recommended slapping a choking victim on the back to help them if coughing did not work. That would dislodge the food or other objects that caused the person to choke. But some doctors believed that back slaps could lodge an object deeper in the airway. A thoracic surgeon named Dr. Henry Heimlich decided to find a better way to rescue people who were choking. In the 1960s, Heimlich had invented a device that drained fluid from open chest wounds that used a flutter valve to prevent backflow. The Heimlich valve saw use in the Vietnam War as well as American hospitals. By the early 1970s, Heimlich had turned his attention to anti-choking techniques. He first tested his methods on dogs, then worked to adapt his procedure for people. 
He wanted anybody to be able to perform the procedure, not just medical professionals. On June 1, 1974, the journal Emergency Medicine published an article by Heimlich that detailed a method for helping people who are choking. The article was titled, Pop Goes the Cafe Coronary. The term cafe coronary refers to a sudden death due to food obstructing the airway. Heimlich called the method subdiaphragmatic pressure. In this method, air expelled through the victim's lungs would propel the object out of the victim's throat. There are several positions a person can be in to administer the Heimlich maneuver. A well-known one is when a person stands behind the choking victim, puts their thumb inside their fist just above the navel, and grabs their fist with their opposite hand. Then, the rescuer presses inward and upward on the person's belly to free the obstruction from their airway. The maneuver can also be done on someone lying on their back, and people can perform it on themselves. The Heimlich maneuver gained popularity, and Heimlich made television appearances promoting the method. Celebrities claimed it saved them from choking. A few months after the article was published, the Journal of the American Medical Association dubbed the method the Heimlich maneuver. By 1976, the American Heart Association and American Red Cross recommended performing abdominal thrust on a choking victim if backslaps did not work. A decade later, both organizations stopped recommending backslaps and only recommended the Heimlich maneuver for choking. One of Heimlich's sons, Peter Heimlich, said that his father tried to discredit the practice of hitting someone on the back to keep them from choking. Peter also said that his father funded a study in the 1980s that concluded hits to the back could be more harmful than beneficial. He claimed that his father was a fraud who was good at public relations and that the Heimlich Institute just promotes his father's dangerous ideas. In 2003, Henry Heimlich's colleague, Dr. Edward Patrick, claimed that he helped develop the maneuver but was not credited for it. Heimlich has been criticized for his work by others as well. He called for the use of the Heimlich maneuver in cases of near drowning and asthma, but its effectiveness in these cases has been discredited, and it could even prove harmful. Heimlich also advocated malaria therapy, which is the controversial process of purposefully infecting a person with malaria to help them with HIV, Lyme disease, cancer, and other conditions. Now, the American Red Cross recommends trying five back slaps for people who are conscious and choking, and if that doesn't work, trying five abdominal thrusts. The American Heart Association still only recommends abdominal thrusts for conscious choking. Heimlich claimed that his maneuver has saved tens of thousands of lives, but there's debate over just how effective and safe it is. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions or just nice notes that you want to send us, you can send those to thisday at iheartmedia.com. If you want to hit us up on social media, we're at TDIHC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks so much for listening to the show, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.